sometimes because there's HR rules that prevent some of the things that I believe go into being a high performance individual. And also because they're resource constraint, that's another reason. So if I only have so much resources to go around, naturally, I think the best use of my time, money, and energy as an organization is to focus exclusively on helping these people be more effective at executing the role that they're in. Welcome to Revenue Insights. Every week, we'll be joined by revenue leaders from some of the most successful and highest growing companies. Together, we explore how they built their revenue teams, the journeys that they've been on, and the lessons they have learned along the way. Revenue Insights is brought to you by Ebster. We're a revenue intelligence platform designed to help revenue teams to build more pipeline, close more deals, and retain more customers. Hello there. You are listening to Revenue Insights. Today, I'm joined by Justin J. Johnson. He's a five-time sales leader who has worked at Fitgrid, Zendesk, Salesforce, also being named one of the top zeros in tech. Nowadays, he's teaching sales reps how to be in the top 1% without burning out. Justin, great to meet you. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. No worries. For anyone that's perhaps not come across you before, I know you're really active in the scene doing training and helping sellers really improve and execute. What is your story and how have you got to where you are today? Yeah, my, my story is an interesting one. So this started off, I almost died twice before the age of 11, almost dying at birth. I was an ECMO baby, which essentially means that there had to be a machine that operated my heart and lungs when I was born. So that was a low probability there. Then also when I was 10 years old, I got into a snowmobile accident and my throat got crushed by a metal bar. So my esophagus, my trachea, my larynx, my vocal cords, all of them were destroyed. So number one, they said I had a one in 10 chance of living, pulled through. They told me I may never eat again. I couldn't eat for a year. Told me I'd never talk again. So imagine being 10 years old in a hospital bed at night learning sign language my vocal cords still don't work, which is why I speak like this today. And over 30 surgeries later, years of physical, mental, emotional recovery really helped me put myself on a trajectory that's helped make it here today. I grew up humble beginnings, blue collar background, construction, upbringing, youngest of five boys. And after I pulled through that experience, everyone said, hey, you're here for a reason. You're meant to do big things. So I, I took that and ran with that a little bit. And I became the first one from my family to graduate from college. And I remember coming out of school, I was ready to take on the world. You know, I was all full of piss and vinegar, ready to go. And my first year in sales, which I stumbled into, I fell flat on my face. My first year in sales, I made $0 in commission, literally. So after going through all of that and me feeling like I'm destined for big things, to then nine months out of school, being depressed, being broke, over $100,000 in debt from school, feeling like a failure, like it was in a really bad place. Then I really just had a hard conversation with myself that, you know, when I said, hey, if you're gonna you know, make the most of this now third chance that you got at this thing called life, you gotta take control of your destiny. And that's what I did. So I made, a lot of massive changes to my environment, my situation, 
And then that all fueled me to help me do very well at Salesforce. I mean, number one rep there, yelling a couple of tech startups, becoming a chief revenue officer at the age of 33, the age of 34 being named one of the top zeros in tech. And then right after uh, retiring from the game, as I like to call it, what I do now, which is, you know, help salespeople, you know, help them, you know, make more money, you promote it faster, but also just enjoy this thing. Because I know a lot of salespeople that might do well in their W2, but they're not happy. And if you're not happy, your life sucks. In fact, there was a recent poll by Gallup that came out a couple months ago that 85% of employees are disengaged. Or when I think about disengaged, I consider that as like unhappy. And it doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what your income is. If you're not happy, your life sucks. Like it's just that simple. So my story, my experience of almost dying, I was what I like to say is I'm blessed with adversity because I was faced with the reality of just how fragile life is at an age that most people don't experience till they're much later in life. So they came in this really unique perspective that's helped me have a very high level of self-awareness around where I'm really at. Am I making the most of my time? Am I helping others in some way to make sure that when it is my time, many years from now, hopefully, I just know that I left it all in the field. And that's all my approach. And that stems from my story and what I'm here today. It's an incredible story. And I am really actually fascinated to perhaps get a bit more elaboration on that perspective. And really, what was it about that experience that you learned from that you carried forward into a career in sales? Was it certain characteristics, beliefs, anything else that really, I guess, gave you a cutting edge? There was a couple of things. And keep in mind, as a 10-year-old, I'm not having these light bulb moments then. I'm just trying to get through the day. But years later, doing a lot of reflection, a couple of things hit me. Number one, the ability to compartmentalize different areas of my life. That's been really powerful for me. So let's say I'm having a bad day in the hospital and I had a major setback with my surgery and something that delayed the timeline for me being able to eat food again. Like this was a real struggle I had for a year where daily there was tests and things going on and setbacks were frequent and common. I had to be able to put that to the side because I wanted to hang out with my family and have fun there. And taking that skill of not letting this carry over to these other things served me in so many ways in my life, especially in the business setting. You know, if I have a bad sales call or I have an uncomfortable conversation with my leadership, something happens, it's like not letting that carry over to my home life, not letting that carry over to me controlling what's 100% my control in the workplace, you know, my activity, my inputs, my prospecting. So the bar, being able to break things apart and think about attacking them in different areas and not trying to attack everything at once, very powerful, I came from that. And the other thing that really came through was just one day at a time, one day at a time. And I learned that just because I had no choice to take it one day at a time. You know, being in the hospital for weeks and now months at a time, going through surgery or two every week, every day is a new adventure. 
So that helped me really understand that, hey, I just want to make the most of today. And I just want to get through today. And then over the years, that's evolved to, I just need to win today. And if I win enough days, then I win a week. If I win enough weeks, then I win a month. If I win enough months, I win a year. If I win enough years, I win at this thing called life. So that's all stemmed from that. And then third, just to reiterate what I said earlier, is like I have this very unique perspective of really just how fragile life is. And just coming to face with death is an incredibly powerful experience, or it was for me, because all these things of like society norms and playing it safe, we're all going to die. And I heard this once on a podcast and I loved it. When you die, there's going to be people that don't go to your funeral or don't go to your wake because they had something to do that day. You're not that important. So just make the most of your life and just go do it. And whatever happens, happens, but don't play scared. And I don't think I would have had that if I didn't go through that, you know, those experiences when I was younger. Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top-performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. Amazing. I must say, I would love to take this conversation down a more philosophical route, but perhaps we'll come back to that in a bit. But my next question might actually take us somewhat down that route. But to reference what you mentioned earlier around, was it 85% of employees are disengaged? In your experience, then, because I know you do a lot of training for one-to-one with reps, from your perspective then, why would you say sellers perhaps are disengaged and more fundamentally are not happy right now? The number one thing that drives happiness from my experience and what I've seen from witnessing this myself, as well as now coaching hundreds, if not thousands of reps over the last decade plus, is progress equals happiness. So therefore, if there is a lack of progress, there will be a lack of happiness. So when I'm working with reps and when they come to me looking for help, it typically because they're stalling out, they're not making as much progress as they'd like, whether that's because they're not in the right environment or it's because they're not doing enough on their own, whatever it is, but it all boils down to like a lack of progress being made. So what I think about how do we drive progress is we coach as leaders, as companies, whatever we do, like our job is to help coach and develop these people to become high performance individuals, which is very different than helping someone hit quota. Helping quota gets to get you by. But if you want to make the most of this thing called life, you have to master much more than objection handling and cold calling and running a proper demo. There's a lot more to it. And companies don't teach this. Sometimes because they don't know any better. Sometimes because there's HR rules that prevent some of the things that I believe go into being a high-performance individual. 
And also because they're resource constrained, that's another reason. So if I only have so much resources to go around, naturally, I think the best use of my time, money, and energy as an organization is to focus exclusively on helping these people be more effective at executing the role that they're in. And obviously that's critical, that's important, but there's other things, other levers that you can pull that in my opinion, have higher leverage to unlock higher levels of energy, higher levels of performance, and both on the dashboard as well as off the dashboard, which means more progress, more progress equals more happiness. So it's this massive vicious circle that we're in right now. The pandemic didn't help at all because a lot more people are remote and there's a lot of things that you lose in a remote environment. Yes, the flexibility is great, but the progress, the learning development, the camaraderie, the human connection, all of those things are substantially less and just equals, hey, people just aren't as happy. The question I want to ask is, I feel like the direction that we're going in is talking a lot more about coaching, right? And to your point there, coaching can be a very broad topic in the sense of, yeah, it's, you know, in the day-to-day jobs to be done and activities that you're doing, but also much wider than that. And so I'm interested to perhaps try and simplify that down a bit. When you perhaps first start working with a business or when you first start working with a rep, how do you go about assessing where best to focus the time when coaching that individual or that team? Everyone that I work with, I basically assess their current state, not only in their career, but where they had in, in all areas of their life. Now, a lot of my focus is on, is on the selling aspect, but your career and your sales, that's only one part of your life. So like, I have to take a holistic approach to understand really where people are at. So that's one of the first things that I do to just get a sense of that. And going into the role part, the selling skills, I mean, a lot of what I do is I get my hands dirty and I'll listen to them, listen to a call. We'll do role play. I'll dig into it to really assess because a lot of the challenges, one of the big problems with coaching, training companies and enablement is, you know, they take the rep's word for it of they say like, oh, how do you feel about your discovery skills? Well, I think I'm at a 10 out of 10 or close to a 10 out of 10 based on my current level of knowledge. But if there's 10 things that I don't know, that if I just implemented those strategies and methodologies and tactics and do how I run a discovery call, that's going to up-level my skill, there's a knowledge gap, right? So it's like people don't know what they don't know. So the only real way to assess really where someone's at is to get your, roll up your sleeves, get your hands dirty and see them, hear them in action and then, and then coach them using a framework that I use. And that obviously leads us then into, could you share a bit more around what that framework is? The framework, very simply not, then I'll break it down, is tell, show, observe, coach, repeat. Now, here's the challenge with a lot of companies. A lot of companies do a pretty good job of training their reps. Not all of them do, but some do a pretty good job training their reps. Now, what I classify as training is teaching you concepts. Another way to think about training is like if you're reading a book, you're getting trained through the book because you're taking in all this knowledge and information. Where the gap is, is how do you implement? Because that's where the rubber meets the road. That's how change actually happens. That's the hard part. Training is easy. 
coaching and implementation and integration, that's hard. And that's where the hard part is. So what I like to think about, what helped me as a rep, and then when I coach hundreds of reps now, it's been received really well, is I can't just poke all the holes in how you do things because all it's going to do is leave you more defeated. You know, I'm sure people that are listening to this, everyone's been in that coaching call with their manager that says, hey, you need to do this, this and that better. And you're like, okay, great. Like, how the hell do I do that? Right? That doesn't help me. You're just poking holes. And now I feel less confident than I did going into the call. So the coaching wheel that I use is step one is tell. So I'm going to tell you what best practices are, what it should look like, how you should execute this aspect of your role, whatever that is. Next is I need to show you, I need to walk the walk. I'll never ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do myself. So I'm going to tell you what best practices are that I'm going to show you, right? That's via role play, whatever it is. If I need to run a discovery call for you, give you examples of recordings, whatever it is, I need to show you what this looks like. Then after I show you, then I need to observe you. Then I need to watch you do this thing. Whatever that thing is that we chunk out and we're going to focus on, then I'm going to watch you do it. That's the observe. Then I'm going to coach you. I'm going to give you feedback. But then at the end, and this is where coaching falls apart, is the most important thing is the repeat. Because you can't just transform in 30 minutes how to do cold call. Like it takes weeks and months, not years for some people to become elite at it. And you're basically having one training session and then expecting behavior change. That's insanity. It just doesn't make any logical sense here. It's like companies throw all this money at doing this like two-day workshops putting together webinars, enablement sessions. And then six months later, when they're looking at the metrics and the results of business, they're like, what the hell? Why isn't our sales improving? It's because you didn't put any energy in and make sure they're implementing it and coaching it. Like what you're doing is you're changing behaviors. And if I'm going to change behavior, that means I'm implementing a new behavior. Another way to think about implementing a new behavior is I'm breaking an old behavior. I'm breaking a bad habit. And bad habits die hard. Because, you know, let's say you're a 25-year-old sales rep. You've been in the game for three years, four years, whatever it is. Take you four years to develop that bad habit. A half a day workshop isn't going to change it. You need to break that down and rebuild it. And that's where the repeat comes in in the wheel. And we keep doing it. We keep drilling it until they nail that aspect. Because my fundamental belief around coaching is... Amateurs do it till they get it right. Pros do it till they can't get it wrong. And the people that put in the repetition are on the reinforcement and they continue to build up those skills and help their reps or help themselves brick by brick, one talk track at a time. One little nuance of how you uh, ask questions at a time. Those are the people that end up having sustained, consistent success, roll over roll. Anyone can take over the right territory at the right time with the right product and go to club and think they're uh, God's gift you know, to the sales professional. But like the real rainmakers that do it year over year, roll after roll, company after company, product after product, it's because they put in the work to get better you know, on their own because they realize that 
most companies aren't going to give them everything that they need to be elite consistently. And as you talk about it, it certainly brings up for me what you were kind of saying earlier around some of the things that for you like made a big difference, taking it one day at a time, brick by brick. And I'm curious then to that point that you've just made from a rep's perspective, it's taking the initiative. And I'm curious also because, you know, ultimately it's the individual takes a degree of responsibility, but there's also a degree of responsibility on the team as well. So for folks that are in leadership positions and management positions, what are some of the things that they can do to bring about repeatability in terms of really reinforcing the coaching and the lessons that they're being given? What else? I'll break that up into two things. First, I want to look at it from the rep's perspective and like their responsibility and then the company's perspective. So the biggest advice I would give to any sales rep is own your career or someone else will. Your company's never going to develop you as fast as you want. Point blank, end of story. That's how it is. Accept that and take ownership of your career and your own development. Is it hard? Absolutely. But is it worth it? You tell me. Do you want to look back at your life and know that you left things on the table? The pain of discipline is nothing compared to the pain of regret. So take ownership of your career. And what I recommend to everyone that I speak to is you should allocate, just like you should allocate your part of your income to like investing and saving, retirement, those types of things. You shouldn't allocate a percentage of your budget towards your personal development. And not every year is going to be the same thing. You know, one year you might want to say, hey, I want to really focus on improving my selling skills. Next year, I want to improve my finances. So I want to invest in a course around improving my personal finances. But it's just that mindset of always allocating your income and putting your own skin in the game to take ownership of your development and growth. And that's how you continue to grow consistently. Like that's a responsibility on the rep because at the end of the day, it's not the company's responsibility to help you make the most of life. It's your responsibility. The company's responsibility is to help give you enough resources to a quota and be competent in your role. Nothing more, right? So it starts with the rep. Own your career. Secondly, from the company's perspective, how I think about you know, how companies can implement it is build growing and getting better into the DNA and the fabric of the organization and being intentional about everyone constantly getting better, starting with leadership because that trickles down. So if it's not weaved into your values and pillars and principles, number one, make sure it's in there. But even more importantly, make sure you act on it, put systems around it. Me and my org, me and my leadership team, every single week, we had a meeting for the reps where everyone was talking about their wins, their losses, what they're focusing on, what they're getting better at. Because Evolve was one of the core pillars of the organizations that I run. And with the Evolve, it's like, we're always getting better and that starts with me. And the reps are gonna get better, the leaders are gonna get better, our processes, our systems are gonna get better. We have to be intentional about it, we have to communicate what we're working on. So that's, so that's a big thing you know, that I think about is like, weave it into the fabric and be intentional about it and have systems to support it so that it doesn't become a chore that you do once a quarter. It's something that you're revisiting every week because it's less about the intensity and more about the consistency. So if we're meeting regularly about it, 
That's what's going to help. So like that's build a system, build it into the fabric and then keep it simple. Don't try to boil the ocean. Changing behaviors is really hard. So you just have to be consistent with it and don't think that a one hour training session or coaching session or a one-on-one is going to solve it. Right? It takes time. So you got to be patient. You got to be consistent. And then you have to make sure that the rep is doing their part too. Because if I'm a leader and my rep's not implementing the coaching that I'm giving them, it's the fastest way to lose me as a leader. I'm intrigued to ask then, just drawing from some of the analysis that we've done, and on average, it's something like 23% of reps are driving around 83% of businesses' revenue. And you kind of touched on it earlier of so much about a rep's quota attainment. It's more about their happiness and lack of progress. I'm interested to get your point of view on what is a regular challenge for sales leaders and sales teams, which is consistent performance, consistent improvement, consistent quota attainment. And I guess quite simply, do you think it's a challenge that can be overcome? If so, how? I think it can be overcome if everyone's bought it. And that's the only way. Reps pointing fingers at companies won't solve it. Companies pointing fingers at reps won't solve it. Companies pointing fingers at managers, managers at reps, managers at companies don't solve it. Everyone's got to be all in to do that. And that's very hard to do. So it starts with the leadership team. If the leadership team in an organization isn't all in on truly developing their people and being intentional about it, it's not just words on a board to look good on your website for your careers page. They actually do it. Then that's going to trickle down. And then you just make sure you hire the right people that are also bought into what you're trying to build. So that's how I would say everyone's got to be bought in for this to work. Yeah. And what's coming up for me, for perhaps for people listening that are like, hey, I love it. I'm bought in. And particularly for those folks who are probably in more senior positions, as you say, it's not easy. And I think a big part of that is to be able to achieve that, it needs to be a pillar as part of the company's culture. If you were going into a business again as a CRO, you're like, okay, I can see like the green shoots of, you know, really a growth mindset amongst the people here, but it's not really that solid. How would you go about changing the culture of the business that you're going into or rather leading by example? And so that others start to look up and go, oh, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay that I have the freedom to learn from it. Yeah, I would say if you're coming in to change a culture, that usually means something's wrong. So I'm operating under the assumption that the house might be on fire a little bit that I'm walking into. So anytime you're coming in, one of the first things you have to do is figure out who belongs to stay, stay on the bus and who shouldn't be on the bus anymore. And that's getting to know your people, getting to get a sense of how they're wired, how they're dick, and setting clear expectations of like what this new culture is going to be. And this, not only what, but then why, and then lastly, how. Clearly outlining that for everybody and working with everyone collectively and individually to make sure they're very clear on what the culture is going to be and what's in it for them. Because people do things for their own selfish reasons, not for yours most times. So make sure they understand what's in it for them to buy into it. But then the folks that don't, you know, get them out. 
And it's not that they don't have great potential. It doesn't mean they're a bad rep or a bad person. You know, maybe their time has just run its course at that company. There's nothing wrong with that. So that's how I like to think about it. You know, when you're trying to establish a culture, it's like, make sure everyone knows what it should be and why they should care, what's in it for them. And then you reinvest and, and you overinvest in the people that are buying into that and help them grow. And the people that don't, you know, don't invest in them, you know, help them find a new gig. I love that. Just a quick reminder, and then we will be right back to the show. At Revenue Insights, our goal is to share how top performing revenue leaders build predictable, efficient, go-to-market teams. Every week, we speak to the brightest minds, and every quarter, we release the latest findings from our analysis of billions of dollars in pipeline. If you don't want to miss out, sign up to our newsletter at ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. That's ebster.com forward slash newsletter dash sign up. The link to make that a little bit easier for you will be in the show notes of this episode wherever you're listening. See you there. I want to ask a virus off ever so slightly. And you kind of mentioned it earlier, you speak to hundreds, if not thousands of reps at the minute. And we're in a interesting period for sales teams, as I'm sure everyone knows, you know, we've gone from a time of abundance into a time of scarcity. I'm intrigued to know then, you know, we've talked about things very big picture, but I'd love to just focus in on perhaps a few tactical bits, perhaps that you're teaching and training reps on how to sell in times like now what is really making a difference for the high performers that you're speaking to what i teach people is how to master the three c's it's how to master your conscience master your craft master your career now where a lot of reps make the mistake is they put all their energy and do well how do i handle objections better how do i run better discovery calls how do i run better demos and don't get me wrong to be a great seller you have to know those things but for you to be elite and the top one percent consistently you have to know these other legs as well. I, I like to call it a tripod. Because think about a tripod. If one leg isn't working on the tripod, what happens? It falls over. So you need all three. You need to know how to be aligned with your purpose, have the right rituals that set you up to be a high-performance person, not just a high-performance seller. So you have high levels of energy that comes down to you, what you put in your body, how you take care of yourself, your habits, rituals, both physically, mentally, to put you in the right state so you don't burn out and you can handle all the adversity that you're going to face. Because when you're in sales, you're signing up for additional adversity. And that's what you're doing. And so you have to know how to do that, which is really hard because you're not taught how to do this in school or you know any college course, really. And most organizations don't really know how to coach on it because it's a very taboo subject for a lot of folks. That's one thing. But then also too, it's knowing how to master your career. So if you're working in an organization, how do you position yourself as someone that they want to invest in? Why make it harder on yourself? No, make your life easy by making sure you're buying into the culture. And then you know, deliver on the results, deliver on what's expected. You know, don't be someone that's difficult to manage. And you know, deliver, and that earns you more responsibility. No, and you know, then there's also the reality of where we are today. People move jobs frequently. So know how to find the right company. Know how to ask the right questions. Know how to put yourself in a position with the most amount of upside, with the least amount of downside. 
there's a skill to be learned of how to play this game called corporate America right, that people don't like to talk about. Like that's just the reality of it. And you have heard other you know, coaches say this is like, you can be a great seller, but if you're selling the wrong product in the wrong environment, it's tough. Like it's just way harder. So it's knowing all of those three things that I really focus on with, with the people that I coach and people that are really trying to transform their career. I love that. Justin, final question. What is one book that you would recommend to other revenue and sales leaders? So I'm going to give a shameless plug here because I'm writing a book right now It's called Zero to Club. And it's everything to teach you what it takes to go from zero skills and struggling to being you know the top 1% consistently. So I'm writing it now. So that's going to be my selfish answer for number one. It's going to come out you know, in the coming months. That's number one. But if I had to pick another book that really made a big impact on me, I would say The Score Will Take Care of Itself by Bill Walsh. Amazing. Why? It takes you away from looking at the scoreboard, aka the dashboard in sales. So if you're focusing on the things that are 100% in your control, then aka your input, your activity, your attitude, how you show up, your preparation, your mindset, the outputs take care of themselves. So it lowers your stress, helps you execute at a higher level. You're not worried about everything else because you're controlling what's in your control. So like learning that skill, going back to one of your earlier questions, like what are the superpowers that I learned from my accident? Being able to compartmentalize and basically put the scoreboard in the corner and almost ignoring it because all it does is distract you from the things that are 100% in your control. Brilliant. I'll make sure I have a link down to that in the show notes below. Now, Justin, I, I can't put a link to your book that isn't finished yet in the show notes, but for anyone that's listening and perhaps wants to sign up for maybe a newsletter or a register an interest or wherever they can find you so they know when it does come out or to learn about all the other things that you're talking about, where can they find you? I'm on LinkedIn, Justin J. Johnson, my website. All the link to my social profiles are on there, justinjjohnson.com. The middle J spell J Y, not just the letter. And any you could sign up for my newsletter there. The people in my newsletter are going to be the first to find out about pre-ordering the book. So if people want to jump on that list as well as you know get actionable insights delivered to their inbox you know, every week. You know, sign up for that too. Brilliant. I'll make sure we put that down in the show notes below. Justin. Thank you so much again for sharing your story and sharing some of your experience and your insights. Really, really enjoyed it. And to everyone that's listened to the episode this week, we'll catch you next week. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Revenue Insights. If you want to learn more, subscribe to our newsletter and we'll deliver every episode straight to your inbox. If you have any questions, feel free to connect with us on LinkedIn. Our links will be in the episode notes. See you next week.